Welcome to the 21st Century Church podcast. Please check out our website at 21stcenturychurch.co.uk for more information. We'd love to connect with you, so head over to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Enjoy this message from our lead pastor, Stefan Jones. If you were here this morning, you, you heard that we're starting a new series called Church Pictures. And I want to answer the question that what is church? Now, the word church from the Greek, ekklesia, it wasn't a Bible word originally. It was a word already in use, and it just meant a gathering of people for a purpose. So God's church is God's gathered people for a purpose. But if you type the word church into Google Image, and as I said this morning, you can try it you know, yourselves, this is what comes up. Page after page after page of church buildings. And normally, traditional style in the Catholic or Anglican style church buildings. If I put in church wheels, you might get some chapels, but that's what you're going to get. And I don't know what comes into your mind when I say the word church. Maybe you just think of somewhere where, like I said this morning, everyone's very nice to each other, and it's kind of old ladies drinking weak tea, having nice raffles, and everybody's nice to everybody. Or maybe what you think of is something else. Maybe you're thinking in your mind about something like, it's a quite a scary place, you know, and one of those people who says, oh, I can't walk through the doors of a church, the roof would cave in. You know, this is going to be a, a place of judgment with severe-looking men giving severe messages to scare the living daylights out of you. Or maybe you think church is just a place for strange people where best to be humored but left well alone because they are weirdos but we're coming into a new season in the life of our church and uh, this next year we're going to be preparing and getting ourselves ready for the next 10 years and what I believe God is calling us to do so I thought it would be good to get back to basics and look at what are the biblical images and pictures given for church because the Old Testament and the New Testament give us pictures to help us understand what church is supposed to be. Now, you need to know them all to get the full picture. And I can't look at them all. There's loads. But at least get the main ones. Because if you've just got one, it's almost as if, if you imagine the jigsaw piece that makes up the whole picture, you've only got one bit. So you've, it's kind of true, but it's imbalanced. So if all you see is church as family or church as house, you're not getting the fullness of the picture. So we are doing, as Nia said, a seven-part series through the rest of the summer. Part one was this morning, and part two is tonight, and they're going to be mixed throughout 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. because there's too many of them. So if you want the full picture, you're going to have to come to it all. But the church is a house, a body, a bride, a family, a city, a flock, and a new creation. There's seven of them we're going to look at. Now this morning we looked at 1 Peter 2 and the picture of church as a house. And the key thought, bonus points if you remember it after your Sunday lunch, is this. The house is built with serving living stones. Each and every one of us is now a living stone in God's global temple. God's temple isn't just in one place now, in Jerusalem. It's being built all over the world, and each and every one of us is a brick in it. The church is not the building. If we all left here and met in Park Howard, the church has moved to Park Howard. That's the way it kind of works. But tonight, we're looking at church pictures, part two. The church is a body. The church is a body. So let me pray 
and then we're going to get into this. Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and all its richness and all its diversity. And I thank you that you've taken the time to give us all these pictures to help us understand what your church is. I pray you would help us get a revelation of what it is you are doing, what it is that you are building, and how we can play a part in that. We pray that you would speak to us tonight. We are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I don't know about you, but I was one of those people where, when I was in college, I, my preferred way of learning was this. Give me a lecturer who gives me information for two straight hours, and I am happy. That's what I want. Just give me a laptop, then we open it up, and I just want to hear what the Old Testament lecturer has to say. Just, just give me the information. Now, for me, maybe this was the opposite reaction for you. These were the words I hated the most in college. Today, we're going to do group work. And at that point, I would just be like, oh no, not group work. I don't care what my person next to me has to say about the Old Testament. Who cares what they have to say? I want to hear what he has to say. No, I know that's kind, of a, that's kind of a bad attitude, I know. And I used to always get annoyed as well when they'd say, any questions? And you know the people who are verbal processors? And they would verbally process a question. And at the end of it, there wasn't really a question. It was just a statement. Some of you were like, yeah, we know these people. And it's always the same person all the time. But actually, there was something I had to learn in that. Because there is power in being a team. A Hillsong Church motto, which I've kind of adopted for us, is that this will not be a church built on the talents of a few, but on the contributions of the many. This is something we do together. And there's power in it. Now, if you were in the team meeting this morning in the 11M, you saw the video of the logistics team from Hillsong Conference, the poor, poor students had put together. But when you're at Hillsong Conference, okay, if you're not sure what that is, it's like this big meeting. Uh, it's kind of like church camp, but it's in the auto arena and there's thousands of people and they do it in Sydney as well. But there's two, there's two conferences. One conference is the one where you're sitting in it, just receiving it. The other is behind the scenes because a church with volunteers is running this thing. And when you look under the bonnet there's all these people I mean the logistics teams are the ones who have to move stuff around they are like a pack of wolves running around the back of the arena just moving stuff around and singing songs as they go but actually that's a really powerful picture of what church is meant to be Hillsong Conference wouldn't happen if it was just Brian Houston preaching it's all of people all of them together helping to do it now two of my friends from college they moved to Sweden one of them Swedish one American and they got married in Sweden, so I got to go to two Swedish weddings. It was really fun. But you could see that in the DNA because all of the college students who were there, for some reason, we couldn't help ourselves but get drafted in with volunteering, basically, and running around helping the wedding. And after the wedding was over, one of them needed a bit of a pack-up. And so we were all going around doing stuff. So I did my part. I went around encouraging people, giving them words as they tidied up after the wedding, telling them, you know, that's, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> but, uh, but now, this is very different to our culture. See, historically speaking, we live in the most individualistic culture there has ever been. No society has ever been like ours where so much emphasis is on the individual and so little emphasis is on the family and on the unit. Now, this has consequences because whether you know it or not, being part of it, you're breathing the air of it and it's in you as well. Our culture is very much be you, be your own. It's the cult of the individual. Now, if you know the phrase, it's kind of postmodernism and I'm going to give you a bit of postmodern poetry tonight. Are you, re are you ready to hear it? Yeah. Some of you are thinking, what, what's this going to be? Okay. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. Let it go. 
let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. I'm going to live alone in an ice castle. Even if everybody else suffers, I'm going to go and do my own thing. It carries on. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. I didn't make that up, by the way. That was, that was there. That was in there. You might have seen the film. It was, I could sing it for you. If you do you want me to sing it? No, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. That's ridiculous. But... It's kind of funny, right? But that's kind of what our culture is teaching our kids from a young age to embrace the values of no right, no wrong. You define what's right and wrong for you. That's there for some people like, ooh, that was a revelation of some Frozen fans over there, maybe for the first time. But what I want to tell you is that's not the Christian vision. The Christian vision of the church and of society embraces the individual, yes, but it's part of seeing that what you, part you play is actually part of something bigger. You are one part of something bigger. The church does not exist as a vehicle for the personal glory of one individual. That's not what the church is. So what is it for then? How is the church different to our culture? Well, we're going to read from one of the most famous, amazing, hilarious, spectacular passages that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. It's very famous and very famous for a reason. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, 27. So let's read and it's going to come on the screen. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For you were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand... I don't belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, or the ear, internationally, should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Now, Paul is being, on purpose, ridiculous here. Imagine a massive eyeball on platform. That's what he's saying. What would be the point of just one detached eye looking at you all? It wouldn't work. It's kind of stupid. So he goes on. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand... I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now, this is the big concluding phrase now you are the body of Christ and each one 
of you is a part of it. It's a classic for a reason, a classic bit of scripture. Actually, the very word member, as we use it, comes from this passage. That's what it means. It means them organ. And there's a lot here. And there's a lot of similarities to the church being a house. But there's one key thing I want to zoom in on tonight. Where Paul says, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. This is what Paul is saying here. No one Christian can say to the church, to all the other Christians, I don't need you. No one Christian can say, I can just worship God alone on a mountain with my Bible swaying in the wind. (laughs) Doesn't work like that. You can't do that. If the hand says, I'm off. I'm doing this on my own. I'm cutting myself off and off I go. What happens to the hand? It's not a trick question, guys. (laughs) It dies. It doesn't work. It's designed to be part of the body. On its own, it actually doesn't even do its own function. The blood will run out and it will eventually just wither away. Now, this is where some passages of scripture, right, you need to do a bit of digging, right? So if we're looking at Ezekiel 1 when we were here, you know, I needed to do a bit of digging there. This passage is quite obvious. There's no, oh, I wonder what Paul is saying here. This is really, really, you know, it's obvious. And this is my key thought for tonight. And I'm pretty sure you're going to remember it. It's one point and it's one thing. Don't amputate, integrate. Don't amputate, integrate. Come on, say it after me. Don't amputate, amputate. integrate. Integrate. Tell the person next to you, I'm not going to amputate. Tell the next person, I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Very good. It would get very weird in here. See, this is a key part of this image. Now, give you a bit of a wider picture. What's going on? Now, if you're a bit of a Bible student, you've already clocked. Who is Paul writing to here? The Corinthian church. They are the naughty church of the Bible. They are the ones who are always in trouble. They are one of the big trading cities in the Roman Empire. It's kind of a Las Vegas on the beach kind of vibes going on. And there's all sorts going on. So amidst, this is all in the Bible, by the way, if you've never read 1 Corinthians. Amidst the incest going on, baptism for the dead, getting drunk in communion, all those things going on in the church that Paul is telling them off for. He's also saying, guys... You are so divided right now, and they are all arguing about status. They're arguing who's more important. They're arguing who gets to do what. And Paul is saying, stop it. All of you, don't you realize, are part of one body. You're one in Christ, and every local church is a microcosm of the global church, the universal church, which we share with every believer, living and dead. That's the Christian doctrine. That's pretty cool, actually. What we're part of is not just this room. Every Christian who's ever lived and lives now. Right now we're talking over two billion people. The church is very big. The body of Christ is very big. Now a question I get asked a lot is this. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Now it's a yes and no answer. Do you have to go to church to be saved? No, of course. On your deathbed you can reach out to Christ and he'll come and forgive you. That's all good. But to live in any way that resembles what God intended... It's impossible to be a Christian without 
church. It's not a coincidence here. Paul uses the body image because God is making a new humanity. And the church is the place where we're meant to learn to be genuinely human, to glorify God, to reflect him into the world. Stephen Matthew, when building church, puts it like this. This picture of the body teaches us about the sheer impossibility of thriving as a believer outside the Christian community. You just can't do it. An amputated hand doesn't flourish in life. You can't amputate. So integrate. Now, what would happen if a hand goes off on its own? It, it would die. And what would it look like? Gross. So I asked Rach to help me with a visual. And we'll see how this visual has come out. Now, I don't think it's too bad, but just to, you know, it helps us to picture it a little bit of what is, what is God saying and what's he saying there? Oh, this. oh. Here we are. So if we can see, hopefully, hopefully there's a hand-like thing. Now, it's not that realistic because it's a very large hand. <laughs> but, uh, but there we go. Can we thank Rachel for doing amazing visual aids for us? And the picture given to us is this. If you say, I don't need to be part of the body, I don't need you, I can do it on my own. God is saying, this is what you look like. <laughs> Bit gross. Not really complete. It's kind of a bit strange. What are you doing? Yes, that's kind of silly. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, and I never thought I'd have a reason to tell this story in a sermon, but it's a cracking story about pro wrestling, so you're just going to have to deal with it. But, uh, but there was this, there's this legendary wrestler called Mick Foley, and Mick Foley is known for hurting himself badly in many things. Now, wrestling, if you're not sure what it is, yes, it is a stage thing. It's basically a glorified stunt show with cool costumes. So that's, it's, it's okay. I'm cool with that. I like that. But one day, he was wrestling in Germany in something called a house show, so it wasn't being televised for WCW. And one of Mick Foley's favorite moves or stunts, he was known for being a bit death-defying, was that he would be whipped by his opponent into the ropes, because in wrestling, once someone throws you, you can't stop running until you hit the ropes, and then you just have to bounce back, and you'll do it forever if no one stops you. So he runs towards the ropes, and what he would do is, he would put his head between the second and the third ropes, and flip over and somersault, and catch himself in what he would call the hangman. So if you can visualize it, he would run, his head caught, flipped over, and so he's kicking, basically choking like that. But the trick is this, all you've got to do is turn your head, and you slip out. Safe, okay? So it's risky, but kind of safe. Now, what Mick Foley didn't know would happen was earlier in the night, some wrestlers had complained that the ropes were a bit slack, so the ropes were extra tight that night. And WCW didn't use ring ropes. Actually, they used steel cables with plastic on them. So what happened on this night was that Mick Foley has done this move many, many, many times. So he flips himself over, does the hangman, and he realizes, I can't get out. And he writes about this in his autobiography on his opener. And he turned to his opponent and started shouting at him. And the opponent just thought, oh, he's really acting well tonight. That's really good. And so just turned his head and just went like that to the crowd. So he's just there choking himself. Nothing's happening. And he thought, I've got to do something right now or I'm going to die. So with all of his strength, he pushed himself. And somehow he managed to pop himself out. And he said there was so much adrenaline in his body. There was sheer relief. He could feel some warm stickiness on the side of his head. But apart from that, he felt okay. So he ran back into the ring to finish the match. His opponent looked at him with horror. Because McFoley was missing his ear. 
it had been torn off by the ring rope. Now, the madman that he is, he finished the match, which is kind of crazy. Now, I've divided the room at this point because I have the picture. Before I put it up, some of you don't want to see it. Some of you do want to see it. Who are the people who want to see it? Yeah, okay. Who are the ones who don't want to see it? Yeah, there's a few of you. Okay, so just close your eyes for five seconds if you don't want to see it. But those of us who do, come on, let's have a look at it. It's very famous. So there he is, Mick Foley, missing his ear. Okay, you can take it down now. So that's, uh, that's okay. So why have I said that horrendous story? Well, this. If one part is missing, it hurts the rest of the body. <laughs> Foley was in pain after losing his ear. Maybe in the moment he was all right, but afterwards it hurt. But also, actually, he said in his book, he went out the back and they couldn't save it. And so the German nurse just threw the, bin in, uh, threw the ear in the bin in front of him. He asked, can I take it home? And they said, no, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing. The ear had lost its purpose because it was useless now. It wasn't part of the body anymore. It had hurt Foley to lose it. And God is saying, that's the picture for the church. I have designed you to need each other. If one part is ripped off and leaves the rest, it hurts the ones left behind. And for the person who leaves and goes off and does their own thing, they can't function as they meant to anyway. I designed you that each part needs the other to flourish. If one part is hurting, we all hurt. If one part is rejoicing, we all rejoice. We can't do this alone. We do it together. That's how God has designed us to be, as one body. So don't ampute it. Integrate. You know, when you pull out a tooth when you're as, as a child, it's only a small thing, isn't it? But it hurts everything. <laughs> and if it's been a, maybe a miserable bit of rain outside and you come outside and the sun comes out and the sun's on your face, it warms the whole body. That's the way it works. See, we should not only not amputate, but integrate. Now, you might ask, what's your favorite physical features, you know? What's, what do you think is your best one? Maybe you think it's your eyes or, or your hair or whatever. Maybe ever think of, what's your least favorite? You don't have to answer that aloud. It's all good. But what's your least favorite feature? Well, this is interesting, what Paul says here in the image. Verse 22, he says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. Now, Paul is taking this image to the next level at this point. Because he's saying this, guys, there are some body parts that are not exactly glorious. Feet, for example. No one really likes feet, it's kind of gross. But yet, the feet cannot say to the head, I don't need you. Because the head ain't going anywhere without the feet. And then he goes on to mention parts we treat with modesty. What's he getting at there, if you notice? What's he saying? We cover up some parts. He's saying, there's some parts of your body you're not meant to walk around on show. You're meant to keep your pants on. It's basically what he's saying there in this. But what he's saying is, but those areas are actually really important. You might not think they are, but they are. Your sexual organs and the areas around the toilet. You can need to cover them up, but the truth is, without them, no human race and a lot of constipation. That's the truth there. Now, what does this have to do with the church? You think it is in the text, by the way. That was a very biblical joke. Well, firstly, some jobs are less glamorous than others. But that has nothing to do with their value in God's eyes. Paul actually takes the image and flips it by saying, the parts we cover up, specially honoured. And the parts on show don't need any extra honour. The preacher can't say to everyone else, I don't need you. It's all about me. Because a preacher on his own 
is just a nuts bloke in the field talking to himself. It's not doing anything. It's only amidst the body that it makes any sense. Now, on Thursday mornings, Anna and Dee come in to help Rachel. And for the morning, what they do, week in, week out, is they clean the church. And they clean the toilets. Most of you did not even know that was happening. They were not being glorified. They were not on our Snapchat and Instagram stories. They were not on the church social media and they were not on the platform. But the truth is, church wouldn't work without them. Church needs to be clean for people to come in. And they do it asking for glory or any honour. And I want to give them some honour tonight actually for that. Can we thank them? I know Anna's here. I don't know if Dee is here. For being heroes. Paul is saying that those people in those jobs indispensable indispensable see this is i'm going to quote Stephen matthew in this because he puts it so much better than i could i hope you hear this visibility is not a measure of importance young people social media age people obsessed with getting likes and thinking if i don't get enough likes it doesn't mean anything visibility is not a measure of importance not to God. We were all baptized by one spirit from one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. That's basically saying everybody. Everybody is all part of the one body. We are given the one spirit to drink. As the body's full of water, the church should be full of the spirit. That's a different sermon, but it's very cool. But here, Paul is saying this, we all have an important part to play. Everybody. Everybody in this building has a part to play if you want to. God has a plan for you. And just because no one sees what you do does not make it less valuable. In fact, it, you, you are given greater honour by God if you do it quietly. It's ridiculous for one part to say to the rest, I don't need you. It's ridiculous for one part to think I'm inferior because I'm less visible. Tom Wright notes in his commentary on the passage, there should be no room for social, cultural or spiritual elitism or snobbery within the church. No room for it. That's not the way it should work. You know, someone else, Seb is another one where you see some of what he does here, right? That's visible. But so much of what he does is behind the scenes. I know that the videos that we do, and I know a team helps him, they spend hours and hours and hours on those videos. Hours looking after the webpage. Hours looking at our social media. Hours. But God sees. Know that tonight. Don't feel inferior to a more visible body part. God sees what you do. That's what matters, not what man says, what God thinks. We are doing this for an audience of one, not for anyone else. Let this be true of our church, that we are all equal, all valued, all integrated, not about visibility. We love God, we love each other, we love people, we reflect his glory into the world, and we do it as a team, as a body. Don't amputate integrate we need each other we need to look out for each other it's not just my job as the pastor to do it we need to all do it on its own the hand on its own is just a bit gross and useless but if the hand reattaches to the body it shouldn't feel inferior to the eye there is only one truly elevated position the keys can come up as i draw to a close see there is one position that's above all the other positions and that's not the position of the pastor or the preacher or 
the drummer, that's a very low position. We don't know, but there's many positions, but there's only one that's elevated above all the others, and that's the head. And the head is not the senior pastor. This is what it says in Ephesians 5, Paul writing again, clarifying, Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Christ is the head. And the head, at least in theory, is the boss. Because the rest of the body does what the head says. If you put your arm out now, come on, let's all do it together, a bit of, bit of fun. Isn't it amazing when you think about it, just command your arm to lift up. And then down. You didn't have to say anything, did you? It just happened. You willed it. And it happened. Now, the way we are designed and science is wonderful and glorious. But in this image, what the head says, the body should follow. But in the church too often, the body's gone rogue <laughs> and doesn't do what the head says. But when you amputate and refuse to integrate, two things happen. Firstly, you've gone rogue. You disobey the head and you cut yourself off from his orders. You won't hear God's word being preached regularly. You won't engage in Bible study or corporate worship or prayer. You won't serve anywhere. You won't tithe. You won't receive communion and so on and so forth. It's not going to work out. But secondly, you're also cut off from his life. If the church is Christ's body, then we know we need to be a part of it to receive life. The hand where it's attached is alive because of it's part of the rest of the body. It's being given the blood that it needs and the health that it needs and the food that it needs on its own. It can't do it. Now, I don't want to raise false expectations here because the church is not perfect. As I said this morning, church is a project. It's a process. We're going on a journey to a good destination. We're not there yet. The church is full of sinful people because that's all of us. And if you stick around long enough, someone will hurt you. Someone will be rude to you. Someone won't be nice to you. You're going to have a bad experience. But it's that knowledge of we're on the journey. We're on the project. And the project is poorer without you. Your bit is valued. You have been designed to work with the rest of the body. There's no point just coming once and saying it didn't work out. Get involved. You know, those people generally who get most involved in church are the most excited about it. Because the more involved you get, the more you put in, the more you get out. And the more you realize this is amazing. What we're a part of. We're a part of this global body. It's the biggest organization, body, whatever you want to call it, on the face of the earth. There's nothing like it. And although we're not perfect, we're on the way. It's a glorious project. And he's the head. And this is the key. If we obey the head, it'll work out. If Jesus is the head of the church in Wales, if we obey him and him first, it'll go well. It'll flourish. And if we don't, it won't. So don't amputate. Integrate. Now I've got two applications to finish for two different types of people. For some of you, the application is this. Get involved. Integrate. Stop hovering on the sidelines. Maybe you once were a part of the body and if you're honest, you've gone and chilled off on your own. A lonely hand on a mountain. You need to come home. Play your part, part of the house, part of the body. Go to a connect group, stay and chat to people, 
Get involved in serving. If you want to know where you can get involved, speak to Nia. She's a service pastor tonight. Come and speak to me, one of the team. And if you're new with visiting, there's no pressure. Obviously, you just come and enjoy. But if you have been around a while on this journey, maybe this is the word for you tonight. Maybe for others, what you need to know is this. Stay integrated. Don't determine your value by your visibility. Don't think just because nobody sees me that I'm not important. Those parts are given special treatment, the Bible says. God sees. We do see. God honors it and he honors you. Don't feel inferior to the rest of the body. Play your part. You are equally valued with all of the rest. The eye needs the hand and the hand needs the ear and the ear needs the foot and the foot needs the arm. And when they all work together, they do something amazing and they can go further and do more than they could ever achieve separately. And so it goes with the church. Each part is equally valued. We need you to play your part. I don't know about you, but I love this picture of the church as a body. It's so refreshing as a rebuke to our selfish age in many ways. There's nothing like it. That we are part of the king's body, implementing his plan all over the world. What's not to love? Part of a family, part of a house, part of a body, part of a movement. And we can do so much more together than we can ever do apart. Amen? So come on, let's stand together. Let me pray quickly for this and then I'm going to just pray for one more group of people but Jesus I thank you for this image that you've given us of the body I pray that we especially those who call ourselves Christians and your followers that we would be obedient to the head that we would be part of your body we would play our part that we would integrate but I pray we would never determine our value or worth by earthly glory or visibility or none of that that we would know we are your children we are loved by you you died for us and you see what we do for you and that's all that matters i pray that nobody would leave this place feeling as if they're not valued or loved i pray that everyone here would know that that they would know that they would know that they are valued loved a part of your body i pray help us to be that body to be able to run be your hands and feet to a broken world to see people reached and saved and helped Help us to obey you every step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me finish with one last thing. One last thing to notice here. In verse 27, it actually said, Now you are the body of Christ. It's significant that it's not Jesus, it's Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is not a name, like a name and a surname. It's not, he's not Mr. Christ, okay? It doesn't work like that. The name Christ is actually, the, the word in the Greek is for king or Messiah. It's a title. It's King Jesus. So it says, now you are the body of the king. That's significant. Why is that? Well, in Jewish thinking, it's this. The king represents his people. When David fought Goliath, the outcome of that battle would represent all of the rest of the side. Do you see that? By David winning, everybody else got the victory. In the same way, what is true of the king is true of his people. That's the message here. 
And so being a Christian means this, that because Jesus died and rose again, what's true of the king is true of the people. And it follows logically this, if becoming a Christian means joining the body of Christ, how can you not but live forever? Jesus ain't dying again. He's alive forever. So if we're a part of his body, that's eternal life. But if we amputate, well, that is death. We will wither away. Because if God is the source of all life, being part of God's body means life. Being apart from it means death. It's logically for all those. It's not God being mean. God is saying, I want you to be part of my body. I want you to have eternal life. But you have to choose. You can go off on your own if you want, but there's no life there. It can't be sustained. 1 Corinthians 15, three chapters later, Paul says, and he said this in Wind's funeral, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We share it with him. This is how it happened. When Jesus came, he lived the perfect life. He was the perfect human and he died in our place. He died cut off from God. The Trinity was broken, the fellowship, Father, Spirit, Son. The Son was cut off and died alone. Why did he do that? So that we who were out could come back in. He was amputated so we could be integrated back. That's the glory of this. Thanks for listening to this message from 21st Century Church. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and remember to check us out at 21stCenturyChurch.co.uk. We'll see you next time.